hi, everybody. You've joined the I Don't Care with Dr. Kevin Stevenson podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Stevenson. Great to have you with me today. We're going to start today's podcast with just a few statistics. 49% of Americans will be affected by a chronic disease by 2025. 21% of all Americans will be over 65 years old by 2030, me included. And 30 million new patients will be entering the healthcare system by 2025. And so, we hear all of these things that we talk about the the rapid growth of healthcare, but we have limited resources. Hey, I can I can talk for uh, a couple of days about the resource uh, limitations that we have in my facility and in, in hospitals all across the country. And so, what we need to be able to do as as healthcare professionals and physicians and providers is to provide care in a more efficient and effective manner. And so today's guest is doing exactly that. Today's guest is is Sanjeev Agarwal. Sanjeev serves as the president and chief operating officer of LeanTOS, which is the leading healthcare predictive analytics company. It's based in Silicon Valley. Sanjeev's got a lot of experience. He was the first, uh, he was the first head of product marketing for Google. After he left Google, he started three startups before uh, joining LeanTOS. He is the author of Better Healthcare Through Math. He's been featured on CNBC and was named as one of the top 100 entrepreneurs in healthcare. So Sanjeev, I've, I've set you up. So welcome to I Don't Care. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, and Sanjeev and I met uh, a few months back in Chicago at the American College of Healthcare Executives Congress, where uh, uh, I was able to see one of the demonstrations of the, the wonderful work that LeanTOS does. And so Sanjeev, if you don't mind talking to my, to my audience, tell them a little bit about how LeanTOS does help provide better healthcare through math. So, Kevin, all of LeanTOS is based on one fundamental principle, which is that if you have a really heavily asset-intensive business where you have to put a lot of capital in the ground, build operating rooms, build cancer centers, build inpatient beds, then the only way to recover that capital is to be extremely efficient, like you said, in using Now, obviously, the complication in healthcare is it's not just the room. That is, uh, that's important for patient care. You need so many other resources. You might need special equipment. You might need nursing. You might need specialized staff in order to take care of patients. So at a high level, what we do is we look at patterns in the data that asset by asset enable health systems to make better decisions on how to maximize the use of the collective set of assets needed to take care of patients. Now, The reason why this isn't uh, really rocket science in some ways is think about UPS, think about about Uber, think about airlines. There is no more asset-intensive business than, say, Delta Airlines. So when you buy a fleet of 20 airplanes that cost $100 million each and you've sunk $2 billion into the ground, the only way you make money and serve passengers is when those planes are off the ground and they are full. And so the kind of mathematics that a Delta Airlines uses to predict how many people are going to fly from point A to point B 
and in some ways use data to enable people to fly more, meaning change pricing, get people to, to maybe take a connecting flight, et cetera, et cetera. These are very well understood ideas of how you best manage the capacity that you have. The problem healthcare has is, with all due respect, the tools that have been made available to healthcare, be they EHRs, be they bed management tools, a lot of them were billing systems. They were not optimization of scheduling systems. So if I look at some of the quote of some of the statistics you mentioned, here's what's scary about that. The national average for how long it takes to get even a primary care appointment is 24 days today. What happens when 30% more people enter the population? What happens when all of us who are approaching the age where we'll have a chronic disease have a chronic disease? What happens when we all live longer because on the flip side, medical care in the United States is so good when you get it that we all live longer. So uh, we are headed to a bit of a traffic jam that is you know, unlike anything we've seen yet unless we find a way to do more with less, get lengths of stay reduced, do more cases in our ORs, improve throughput of our infusion centers. So that's what we do using math principles. Yeah, and for us in, in healthcare, and for anybody who is who has dealt with physicians for as long as I have, yeah, the best way to convince a physician to maybe change practices or alter their process is to use data. And, and a lot of us, you know, with experience in your position, comes that kind of inherent knowledge of you know, it's always I've always been able to make this work, but you know, we've got to be able to use that data, you know, uh, objectively with our physicians to say, hey, you know, this is, you're doing 20 surgeries in a week now. How can we maybe ramp you up to 25 or even 30? So, you know, that was something whenever I was fortunate enough to, uh, to be able to uh, sit in on one of your uh, demonstrations in Chicago. That's what fascinated me, fascinated me more. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so look, the, um, let's take the operating room as an example. Let's get deeper into how it's managed today. A group of people get together and they decide who should get block time and who shouldn't. And they use metrics like block utilization. Think about block utilization for a second. Let's take a day where I am guaranteed an eight-hour day, right? So you have 480 minutes or 500 minutes. Um, and let's say I start seven minutes late. Shame on me. Uh, first case delay of seven minutes, right? Now, at that point, let's say I'm doing a surgery that someone said or our, our EHR said or some predictive analytics tool said would take two and a half hours. The fundamental nature of healthcare and surgery is such that Einstein couldn't tell you that it's going to take exactly two and a half hours, right? It's not like booking a conference room uh, where you go in and you are kicked out at the end of your hour. So it could take two hours, 42 minutes. It could take two hours, 28 minutes. There's a level of variation that exists, right? Then let's say my turnover time, which was supposed to be 15 minutes, ended up being 22 minutes. All right. So I lost seven minutes for first case delay, seven minutes for turnover time. And then let's say I had to do a longer case that was planned for four and a half hours, but it took four hours and 23 minutes. Okay. So I'm, I'm, there's another seven minutes. I'm doing this for a purpose, for a reason. 
So I've got three little chunks of seven minutes that weren't used. All right. At the end of the day, I look at my block and uh, someone says, of the 500 minutes, you didn't use 21 minutes, right? And they ding me for those 21 minutes. Now, regardless of whether the first seven minutes or the second seven minutes were my fault or not, or the fact that I'm efficient is being held against me, think about what is it that the OR could have done with those 21 minutes, even if they knew those 21 minutes were going to be available. First of all, they didn't because the lengths of each case are variable, so you couldn't predict that. We sit in OR committee looking at these basically meaningless stats called block utilization that means nothing, right? So then, so, so think about how we make decisions. We say, hey, Kevin, everybody is going to be held to the bar of 75%. First of all, where did that 75% number come from? If I'm doing total, if I'm just doing knees and joints for healthy people in an ASC, that number should be 95% because there's less variation, turnover time should be quick, there's not that much you know, cleaning involved, blah, blah, blah. So healthcare runs on a set of metrics that with all due respect are limited by logic. They're limited by the tools that we use. Now, let me propose an alternative, right? Imagine if instead of looking at these seven minutes, seven minutes, seven minutes uh, delays, I started looking for patterns in the data where the block owner was leaving contiguous portions of time in which at least one case could have been done by someone else. All right, I call it collectible or repurposable time. And I'll give you five examples of that. Number one, I use the morning as well, but not the afternoon, right? I uh, have two rooms and because I'm not an electron, I can't be in both rooms at once. And so there are large portions of time that go unused in one room, right? Third, the way block utilization is calculated, sometimes I get credit for releasing time early, right? So imagine I'm a senior surgeon who had a big book of business 20 years ago when I joined. I'm still squatting on two blocks a week, but I give up one of my blocks often enough, but I still hold on to that New York taxi medallion. What sense does that make? So we'll keep going, right? Um, so, so if you think about... Um, or, or sometimes, you know, auto-release picks time up. See, this is the other uh, sort of, it, it's terrible math. I'll tell you why. We again sit in our committee and we say, what is a good time for auto-release to happen? Let's say it's a week. Or let's say it's two weeks before day off. If I'm an OBGYN, I have six months to plan my cases. If I'm a neurosurgeon, I have two days to plan my cases. You're going to sit there and say that two weeks for everybody is fair? So my point is, all of these, and why do you think surgeons are, uh, are rebel against block utilization, or it's very hard to convince someone that they're being fairly treated when first we create an arbitrary number like 75%. Second, one minus 75% means nothing. Third, it's completely unfair because if you have highly variable length cases, if you're a surgical oncologist, and I am a sports orthopedic surgeon doing, you know, lumps and bumps, obviously my length of cases will be far more predictable than yours. So holding you and me to the same standard makes zero sense. So I'm, I'm diving into this because surgery is the economic backbone of every hospital. So, so part one is our metrics are completely flawed. 
Secondly, what does block time even mean? Block time to me means, you know, sometimes when I'm driving through a parking lot and there are a thousand parking spaces, 45 of them are reserved, 955 are free. The 955 are all jam-packed, and of the 45, 20 are not taken. I don't know if you've ever experienced that frustration. All the time. Right? <laughs> That's what block time sometimes does. Uh-huh. So imagine you hire me as a, as a surgeon in your OR, and you say, hey, Sanjeev, I love the work you do. You're a brilliant surgeon. I'll give you every Monday. Now, when you give me every Monday, it's very efficient in some ways because I can do clinic Tuesday and Wednesday. I can teach Thursday and Friday or whatever, right? But inherently, the promise you're making me is that you're going to give me staff, resources, room, anesthesia, equipment, robots, et cetera, et cetera. The promise you expect me to make back to you is that I'll use that, that, those resources well every day. Now, what needs to happen for me to use those resources well every day? The following needs to happen. Very simple equation. The number of patients I see each week in clinic times the percent that needs surgery times the percent that can come on Mondays, times the average length of case I do, needs to neatly fit into Tetris blocks for the next 52 weeks for me to show you great performance. What is the likelihood that that's going to happen? Even if the, this was predictable to 90%, 90% to the power of four is 65%. Why do you think most ORs hover around 65% in utilization? Because of one word, the, 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 fancier, the fancy Nancy way of saying that is stochasticity. The simple way of saying it is unpredictability. So how do you take the unpredictability and you harness it to your advantage? Well, first of all, you look at historical data and patterns to say, you know what, based on Kevin's booking patterns, if he has block three weeks from now, what is the likelihood that he should have had at least one case booked already? If I'm an OBGYN surgeon, it might be 80% because I book my cases uh, two or three months in advance. If I'm a neurosurgeon, it might be 2%. I've never, almost never put a, booked a neurosurgery three weeks in advance. My point is, as you get closer to the day of, you get shorter and shorter whether someone's going to use their block or not, or is just hanging on to it, or has forgotten to release it. Imagine sending the, their offices a reminder saying, hey, by now, Kevin should have Really, should have put a case on his on his block. Is he really going to use the time? If he's not going to use the time, please consider releasing it because Dr. Agarwal is really desperately in need of time. Now, if Kevin doesn't release his time, now I have data like an Amazon buyer and seller score saying, Kevin, I sent you 15 release reminders. I call them release reminders over the last year. Your office ignored it. You didn't even know they came because you don't deal with your schedule. Your office does. And by the way, what happened was on eight out of those 15 occasions, you didn't use your time well. Could you please start paying attention to these release reminders? What we've done in our ORs, Kevin, is we've created this mindset of scarcity. It's this prisoner's dilemma problem where you and I don't co co cooperate because it's a New York taxi medallion. It's a zero-sum game. If you have it, I don't, right? If we all understand that the collective good for all of us because sometimes, even though you have Monday block, you might need time Wednesday or Friday because that's when your patient can come in and you can actually make the time. So will I. If you and I both understand each other and understand that logic, we might start behaving slightly differently by saying, you know, actually, there's a mindset of abundance. 
if I don't really need my time, let me give it up sooner, right? And that takes a kind of mindset, governance, process, thinking change that we've now enabled in over 5,000 ORs in this country. So hopefully that makes a little bit of sense in terms of how you create lots of open time. Uh, you know, 15% of block time released almost a month in advance. And why is that not surprising? 15% of 52 weeks is roughly eight weeks. Is it hard to believe that any given block owner doesn't behave exactly according to schedule eight weeks of the year? I go on vacation, I teach, I have low volume in the summer, let's say. So the problem is that this inefficiency, this latent inefficiency in the system is never surfaced until you use tools like the ones I'm talking about. Okay. So let's talk a, a little bit about what Lean Toss does, because again, I found it just fascinating. Yeah, it, it's fascinating, but it but it's so simple if you think about it. Right. Right. So 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 how does Lean Toss go about aggregating all of these resources into a salient scheduling system for ORs, for infusion centers, for inpatient? So I think the best place to start is that uh, we don't really care what you use to schedule. You could use Gmail, you could use your EHR, you could, you know, you could you know, put marks on a tree for all we care. The problem is the optimization of the scheduling. So the, what we work on is we provide software that sits on top of the EHR or alongside it. And it provides guidance on who should get release reminders to release their block soon, for example, in the OR. It provides guidance on, please stop using block utilization as a way of taking block away. Start using what we call collectible or repurposable time that's looking at those large contiguous portions of time in order to show who could have used that time better, right? Um, the, uh, uh, in the case of infusion centers, we create optimized templates that get fed back into the EHR, right? So why is that important? If you think about how infusion scheduling or any ambulatory scheduling is done, it's done using templates that are created based on rules of thumb. People get, get together and say, let's do long appointments in the morning, short ones in the afternoon. How could they do their ambulatory scheduling is, oh, I wanna see new, all my new patients in the morning and the re returns in the afternoon. The problem is that's highly inefficient to think about it that way. Let's take that example. The way to think about it is that if I have 70 patients walking into an infusion center with say 35 chairs on any given day, the theoretical way in which you could arrange the order in which these patients come in, if you remember back to combinatorial math in high school, 70 times 69 times 68 times 70 factorial, there are 10 to the 100 ways in which I could arrange the sequence in which these patients could come in. Now, I have nursing constraints, I have lab constraints, I have pharmacy constraints, I have constraints of how many simultaneous appointments I can start, constraints like uh, when the last drug can be given to a patient, how long nurses can stay, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a massive constraint-based optimization problem that says, if you're going to do 70 appointments today, you can't do it based on you know, long appointments in the morning, short in the afternoon. You have to be very precise about when each appointment of a certain length needs to start because the resources you have to plan need to be available for it. You need the pump, you need the chair, 
You need the drug, you need the patient, you need the nurse. So unless you simulate how those five are going to behave during the day, which is why every infusion center in the country that does not have optimized templates has a peak between 10 and 2. Between, between, between 7 and 10, it's, it's you know, pretty quiet. Between 2 and 5, it's pretty quiet. But and add on top of that the fact that you see your oncologist before you get your, your infusion, it makes matters worse because that's like a connecting flight, right? In my life, a few connecting flights, but not a lot of them. I've taken a lot of connecting flights. How do airlines do that? Exactly by doing what we're talking about. They account the variability of each link. They see Chicago during the winter is very different from Chicago during the summer because of weather and, and mechanical issues, et cetera, et cetera. So they use all this historical data to predict patterns of behavior in the future, which is all that AI really is, to say, so in the case of Infusion, we provide software that provides a template that's optimized and then gives you guidance for future days. Because much like airlines can predict, is this going to be a full flight? So can I raise prices? Or is this going to be empty flight? And can I lower prices? We can predict, is this going to be a bad day or a good day? And we can tell Infusion Centers, if you moved a couple of your Tetris blocks or Jenga blocks a little bit, you'd have a level-loaded day. So in the OR, it's software that creates more open time, almost creates an open table-like capability. Why is it mm-hmm. for a surgeon in this country to find a table for four on open table for dinner than to find time in the OR? Makes absolutely no sense, right? Uh, exactly. That, that is a wonderful analogy, too. And then why do we sit at block committee arguing about metrics that make no sense? These are highly qualified physicians and chairs of surgery who are, you know, it's as if, and I'm very sensitive to this because I'm not very tall. Imagine you paid people based on how tall you are. That wouldn't be a great way of deciding who should get paid how much. And so block utilization isn't a great way of deciding who should get block or who should, shouldn't. Um, when we look at staffing, which is the biggest problem facing this country, One of the reasons is we have these six-week staffing schedules that are highly rigid. Then we pretend like some guess we made six weeks ago about what volumes were going to be like is God's honest truth. Well, no. Much like airlines predict minute by minute based on how many bookings have been done, we should in real time be able to alter what the likely volume of cases of a certain type inpatient or ASC should be, should, 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 will be done and provide that data to nurse managers and folks to be able to say, maybe I don't need as many nurses as I, as I thought, or maybe I need one or two more. Maybe the or, same thing on the inpatient side. Our tool provides census predictions hour by hour, unit by unit, location by location. How? The same way navigation systems work. Doesn't it amaze you at times when you get in your car and you land at Dallas airport and you're going home and it's Friday at 2 p.m. versus Thursday at 3 p.m., and the answer is different? Like, the navigation system has no idea who's going to be on the road. Will they be good drivers or bad drivers? Will they cut me off? And yet it gets pretty close to the right answer. Exactly, yes. And the way it does that is to say it has a model, a mathematical model that it's built of every quarter-mile segment of road, of every lat long in the world based on the movement of phones on every day of the week, and if it's the Friday after Thanksgiving, it's a different model than the Friday before Thanksgiving, right? The same data exists in our EHRs. We've seen every patient walk into every unit on every day of the week for tens of years. What have we done with that? We've basically admired problems. We've put it on a dashboard and said, this is what happened. Patient waited a lot in the PACU, really? You can anticipate a lot of this by looking at historical patterns. So 
The software we provide helps you optimize throughput by giving you guidance on the next action to take. And it automates these actions a lot of times. Like it automatically sends these release reminders to surgeons. It automatically sends uh, frontline staff a notification saying, you better look at that unit and these three patients who are in these beds. They are medically ready more than likely because I know we've seen patients like them before. You should see about whether we should, can discharge them. By the way, these three other patients, they resemble other patients we've seen before. Those other patients, two of them needed a sniff. One of them needed these three tests that you haven't still ordered for them. Go take a look. Be proactive about discharges that will be delayed tomorrow if you don't act today, right? These are the sorts of things that predictive analytics and being proactive about taking action today to avoid issues tomorrow lead you to. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and looking at, at the your website and, and for all my my uh, viewers and, and listeners, it's leantas, L-E-A-N-T-A-A-S.com. You know, I strongly urge you to go to that because there are a number of case studies. I've looked over the case study for Dignity Health talking just about what Sanjeev has been saying. They had issues with traditional block time management and, and wanted to find a better way to optimize that scheduling. So your IQ platform was ideal for them. Absolutely. And Dignity now has expanded to all of Common Spirit as a result. And, you know, uh, their perioperative leaders have gone on record and talked about the kinds of improvement in contribution margin they've seen from more cases being done during business hours. Obviously, staffing can be leveraged better if I do more cases during business hours. But to your point, Kevin, there's a dozen of these case studies. Common Spirit is a really, really important partner of ours. But we have 92 such health systems on the operating room side. Mayo Clinic, Providence just came on board, um, CHS Community Health Systems. These are some of the larger ones. But some of the biggest and best, University of Colorado Health, um, University of Cincinnati Health, many, many, many other health systems, academic and community. And, and by the way, tools like these also make health systems easier to work with for surgeons and patients. And that makes them more loyal and they get more business and repeat business from them. Um, similarly, on the inpatient side, places like Sarasota Memorial, places like um, Health First, they've demonstrated reduction in LOS, uh, very significant reduction in LOS by being more proactive about discharge barriers and by being uh, clear about the sequence in which we should discharge patients. Because, you know, one of the most frustrating things, I'm sure, for all frontline staff is the edict that comes from senior management every day, which is thou shalt get all discharges out by noon, right? And this is like, this is like me telling you when you landed at Dallas airport, thou shalt get home in 42 minutes. Well, can you give me some help? Can you give me a navigation system to guide me through the process? So, you know, I, I, I laugh about this at times, but people get desensitized to commands like that after a while. Like my boss. Oh, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about that because we you you hit the nail on the head. We talk about this every day. We've got to have our discharges out by noon, yeah. And because we've got you know we've got people backed up in the ED. We've got surgeries that we know will need beds, and so uh, yeah. And, and I, I love the fact you know we've been talking primarily about the the internal process 
for for surgeries or inpatient or, or infusion center, but it's the impact on the patient. You know, uh, we have a very large catchment area at my hospital, and so patients are coming from you know two three hours away, and you know we want to make things as as efficient for them as we possibly can. So why do we have a patient come in at five thirty in the morning if they're if they're Surgery is not scheduled until one that afternoon. And so, you know, not having that cookie cutter, hey, this is the way we've always done it, you know, and being able to utilize the, you know, the technology that you, that you guys have developed uh, to say, hey, okay, yeah, your, your surgery, more than likely we're going to start at one. So why don't you just come at about 10? We should be fine. Think, Kevin, think about the consumer analog of this, right? I live in California, but I'm traveling right now. I'm in Boston, right? Imagine I took a package to a local UPS or a FedEx store. They have no idea I was going to show up and maybe ship a book to a friend of mine. But they'll take it, they'll absorb it, and they will make sure it gets there when they promised it was going to get there. It amazes me every time I do this how that works because of all the efficiency they have done by predicting volume. Zip. There are 41,000 zip codes in the U.S., Every zip code has at least, you know, some shipping going on from, from zip code A to zip code B, which means well in advance, UPS, FedEx have to predict the likely amount of traffic that's going to go from point A to point B. So that uncertainty is dealt with through these predictive algorithms. So then think about December versus January traffic. December is a lot of gifts, small packages, lighter packages. If UPS and FedEx work like healthcare does, they would need three times the number of trucks just in December. <laughs> That's true. Because of the volume of packages being shipped. So Very true. what do they do? They have to optimize billions of dollars of airplanes, trucks, truck drivers, um, nodes, UPS locations, pickup times. And if anyone tells me their problem is easier than healthcare's, I'd love to challenge them, Right. But the tools they've put in place are far more sophisticated, far more sophisticated than dashboards and, you know, scheduling systems that are essentially not taking into account any prediction, not prescribing any action, not being, you know, thoughtful about how do I plan future days so I can manage all that volume. And the last thing I'll say this is, how would you feel if you went to that UPS store and they said, you know what, I know you need to ship a package, come back in 24 days. Exactly. Right. Which is exactly. what our patients. You need primary care now. Come back in 24 days. Okay. Right. Come back. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll put you. <laughs> so, so well, we fix this. I'll tell you, Sanjeev, it's been just tremendous having you on. Uh, you know, for for all of us in, in hospital administration, you know, you're you're talking to. I'll admit it's the bane of our existence. Oftentimes, uh, you know, trying to get the optimal scheduling. So, uh, so again, audience, uh, if you want to hear more about what Sanjeev and his company LeanTOS does, go to LeanTOS.com, L-E-A-N-T-A-A-S.com, and take a look at all the, uh, the fantastic case studies that they have. Uh, you know, contact them if you, uh, you know, if you're like us, you know, and you, and you have uh, difficulties in, uh, in getting uh, optimal throughput. Because, as I said earlier, you know, we talked about those statistics of the aging of America. We've got to be a lot more efficient and effective in the way that we deliver care. So, Sanjeev, thanks again for being on I Don't Care with me today. It's been just great. 
Thank you for having me, Kevin, and the opportunity. Well, uh, Sanjeev Agrawal, President and COO of Lean Toss. Uh, you're welcome back at I Don't Care anytime. And we might even use your scheduling software to get you scheduled. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye.